been, uh, I was teaching at Sambica, the, the, the camp over in Bellevue uh, all week. It was awesome. I've got a lot of camp energy. Uh, feeling, feeling really, <laughs> so we're going to do some, some chants and stuff. No, we aren't. We're not going to do that this morning. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Got to share the gospel with a bunch of, bunch of, bunch of kids and, and teenagers, and it was, it was really awesome. So, um, and Sambika is a great place, right? So Danielle talked about that. We're doing that July 30th. Um, basically, all we do, we go down, they have a waterfront. They've got like uh, inflatables and, you know, a dock and a water slide and stuff like that. And we just go and hang out there and have a great time and eat some good food and not do some silly things. If you want to see, uh, <laughs> I hope I don't have to do this this year, uh, but last year I did partake in an uh, obstacle course. So if, if watching me embarrass myself publicly is something you're interested in, <laughs> I am happy to oblige. It's also a great time for, for, to bring along friends because everybody loves to be uh, at the beach and just enjoying uh, beautiful weather, and I'm sure July 30th will be, will be beautiful, so... And I'm Trey, by the way. I, mean, I, used to be, I used to have a lot of hair, and now I have much less. Uh, that's a story for another time. Uh, but it's good. So anyways, I'll stop yapping. Let's talk about the Bible. Uh, last week, uh, well, actually, let's pray before we do that, before I just talk. Because it'd be big wise, I think. Okay, so Lord, Lord, it's always good to come into your presence, Lord. It's always good to just, to just uh, settle our hearts before you and just, just be open. Lord, we want to just be open to hear what you have for us this morning as we, as we uh, read your word and we understand that it's, it's just your voice speaking to us through it. Um, Lord, we want to we hear from you. We want to listen to you, Lord. Uh, we want to have a vision for, for how we can, can live, Lord, as, as people. And, and as a church, in, in uh, uh, an age where there's a lot of division, uh, Lord, we want to uh, hear uh, how you have a better plan. Lord, Lord, a way for us to be unified and, and to be seeking your purposes together. Uh, so, Lord, I just pray you'd speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we went through uh, Acts 14. We got through the whole chapter last week. Actually, I didn't read the last, like, three verses, but it's basically like, and then they went back to all the places. So there you go. That's the summary. You can check me on it if you want. Um, but... Acts 15, uh, we're moving on to right now, and we are going to cover this whole chapter as well. Um, these are interesting passages. Acts 14 and 15 are really interesting pa- passages. I mean, the whole book of Acts is really fascinating um, because uh, we see, especially in these middle chapters of Acts, as the church uh, is starting to grow and the Lord is starting to do things in the known world at the time that there's, there's some conflicts and they're the sorts of conflicts that are, that are recorded and presented here because they remain relevant to us today. You know, you're answering questions like, okay, like, what, do we, what is it like to be, to be a believer in the world? That's what we talked about uh, back in, in uh, Acts 14 last week, right? And, and Paul gives this really bummer of a sermon. Um, but his point is just this, and he makes it in Acts chapter 14, verse 22. He says, it's necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Like if I was like advertising this Sunday, I would just, and I said, many hardships to go through the kingdom of God would be the title of your, the sermon and no one would show. You would all be taking a hike because you'd be like, that's, that's kind of a bummer. But, but what, what Paul sort of like presented, I think in a, in a, in a compelling way and, and he lived out is, is that, um, yeah, I mean, part of this following Jesus, part of following this king who is already king, but not yet recognized as king is, is going through hardships. 
And, and the difficulties can be actually understood as, as, as a way to pursue the good things that God has. You know, they don't need to be thought of hardships alone, but we have to be serious about what it means to, to follow Jesus. And, and here in Acts 15, we see Paul and Barnabas and the rest of, of, of the apostles, apostles not dealing with challenges from outside, right? Challenges that are going to be uh, leading them into hardships, but starting to deal with challenges inside the church. And man, I mean, wouldn't it be enough if we just had problems outside? Now we have to have issues inside that we have to deal with. We have to deal with unity and conflict within the church. Come on. But that's the way it is. Uh, but but just, like, just like with these exterior difficulties, Paul understands the opportunities of it, right? You know, there's, we have to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, but here's the great news. Like, we're coming into the kingdom of God. We know the king. Like, there are great things happening as a result, even though there's some difficulty along the way. Like, giving up the stuff of this world is going to cost us something, but we gain something so much better. And likewise, the calling of the church is to be unified, to love one another, to, to, to build each other up. And that costs us some things sometimes. It costs us our pride sometimes. I, I told my children I wouldn't give sermon illustrations about them, but I could right? You know, I've got two older boys, and they are just learning. What does it look like to accommodate one another, to love one another, right? And you know what it looks like? Somebody's got to be wrong. <laughs> Somebody's got to not get what they want. That's part of just, just living a life together and loving people, right? And we're going to see that played out here in, in, in Acts 15. What do you do when the church, people in the church have different views? Like, there's so much opposition against the gospel in culture but like, so what do you do when there's frankly different cultures or different ways of understanding the text or even just the different ways of just having opinions that maybe aren't related to, to revelation, to what God's doing? What do you do when, when you come up with the fact that there are different people, different cultural groups, different ways of understanding, different senses of what it looks like to be the church and to act like the church in the world, to, to love one another? How do we continue to not fracture to the point where, you know, there's a, there's, there's, a, there's a really funny uh, sermon illustration I heard once that it's like a, like a pastor, and, and they had like led all these church splits, been always a part of this church split, and then one day his wife looked at him and said, I, I think I have, to, I have to have a church split from you, and that was it. It was just a church of one at that point, you know? Like, we can always continue to have disagreements to the point where there becomes no more unity and no more bondedness together in the church, right? There can always be conflicts, and what we see is that there were, there were cultural groups in the church and there was offense and there was difficulty that needed to be dealt with here early on, okay? And so we're just going to jump right in the passage because this is really just, he spends the whole chapter just kind of unpacking what happened and it's very interesting, okay? So here we go. Let's just read it. Some men came down from Judea and began to teach the brothers. So he's, he's, he's back in Antioch. Paul and Barnabas have, have finished their first missionary journey, come back to Antioch, and they're just telling, they're excited about everything the Lord has done. And then some people came from Judea, from, from Jerusalem, from the area around Jerusalem, some, some Jewish believers, and they started to teach, and they started to say something. They said, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. Well, that's, that's hard for, for this Antioch church, which is mostly um, non-Jewish believers to hear, right? So, so they said, well, we believed in Jesus and the Holy Spirit's been working on us. And then these people are coming along and saying, okay, well, now you have to take care of, <laughs> take care of something. You know, you have to uh, obey the certain, certain Jewish regulations and rules. And they're, they're pushing this very hard. 
And he says, after Paul and Barnabas had engaged with them in serious argument and debate, not just niceties, serious argument and debate, Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go up to the apostles and the elders uh, in Jerusalem about this issue. And when they had been sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and they brought great joy to the brothers and sisters. And when they arrived in Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses." A lot to be said about this passage, but did you hear this one little bit at the end? A group of believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees? Wait a minute. Who? Like, so, so like I mean, just to remind you who the Pharisees are, right? The, the Pharisees were, were this group of hyper-religious, hyper-observant Jews, and Jesus was always just kind of in conflict with them. Like, Jesus would go around and talk about this, the, the, the plans of God, and, and he, Jesus was, like, serious. Like, he was religious. He, he knew his Bible. He, he knew his scriptures. He was always, like, deeply in them. And then these other people who feel like they know the scriptures best of all of Israel were always fighting with Jesus about it because they had this way of understanding the scriptures that was just like, man, what we have to do to make God happy is we have to very stringently observe this law. And not only do they would think they have to do it, but they have to make everybody else do it in in Israel or else the Messiah isn't going to come. So they're not only like really strict with themselves, but they are enforcers. They are the enforcers of the law because they know that God wants these things. And if they don't enforce them, then how will God ever move? And how will God ever ever do something among the people? How will God ever deliver them from from Rome? Okay. My goodness. I was at camp. I told you. And uh, I guess my voice is going. <laughs> well, that was very embarrassing. Okay. So, so there's these guys, and like, and, and like there's constant conflict. And basically, like the end of the Gospels is Jesus wins, they lose. They were wrong, Jesus was right. That's the sense you're left with when you think about the Pharisees. Like, like actually, they end up sort of leading this group that ends up killing Jesus, but then Jesus rises from the grave. So he wins. Right, And so you think, like, that's why when you're coming around here and you're like, okay, this early movement of the church and there's all these people, and then you read about in the early church, a group of believers belonging to the party of the Pharisees, and you're just like, wait, you guys aren't invited. How is it that you're here, group of believers belonging to the Pharisees, in this party that is the early church? Because, I mean, we're like, oh, man, everybody can come, but we kind of in the back of our head are thinking, no, but not them. Like, they wouldn't even want to come even if they were invited. So, like, but they showed up anyway, this party of the Pharisees, these, these people who have this perspective on what it looks like to interpret Scripture and honor God. And then they are starting to bring that perspective and teach it stringently to the point where when Paul and Barnabas tell them all the things that God has done, all the ways in which God has moved powerfully among the Gentiles, these uncircumcised, not law-following people, they get up and say, Oh, isn't that wonderful? But you have to tell them that they have to get circumcised and they have to keep the law because that's what God says. And Paul and Barnabas disagree. They disagree. And so these Pharisees, and it's hard for, again, like I, I read that word, I read that word Pharisees and I think, 
Pharisees, right? It's hard to, it's hard to not read that word and have like in a positive light. But it's just who they are. It's, it's what they are. And, and, and what we find in the early church is they had a place in the church. They, were, they weren't just kicked out. They're literally the party of the Pharisees. They probably have like badges on. And they're hanging out among the disciples, among the apostles in the early church, and they, they, were, they were part of it. It wasn't a problem. But they're advocating for this way, and they're saying these Gentiles need to come in and be circumcised and obey the law, and they have compelling arguments. It's not like, you know, in my old church, when we were super small, during our midweek service, our pastor would, like, open up the mic to questions. And there was one guy. I loved him. But he had a lot of questions. <laughs> and they weren't the questions that anyone else had, <laughs> right? And so, like, you know, sometimes he would come up and he would just ask this kind of, kind of, like, out there question. And everybody else in the room was like, okay, that's a great question. But nobody else really, like, was, like, really interested, like, going deep in this question. Um, but it wasn't like that. Like, they're talking and they're sharing this perspective and people are like, you know, he might have something there. Should they? Shouldn't they? Should they obey the law? Should we enforce this? And the question is, is, is actually thought of as worth considering because, you know, like, it's, they're talking about the Bible. The Bible has, is authoritative. Like, we have to listen to the Bible. Like, God hasn't changed. The Bible is the same. So, so what's this question? It, it's so much to the point where they just say, look it, We've talked this through. We're arguing. Paul and Barnabas are on one side, the, the Pharisees. Like, let's just send a group up to Jerusalem, and they can have this discussion with the apostles. And then when they get there, the same thing happens. These same people, right? Because they are sending their message out and teaching this message, and it's going throughout the whole world. And so there's a conflict in the early church, even in Jerusalem, even among the apostles, okay? So, so it continues on, Okay. It says, the apostles and the elders gathered to consider this matter, okay? So they're, they're gathering together, and they're like, okay, we really need to decide this. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you are aware that in the early days God made his choice among you, that by, the, by, by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the gospel message and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them, giving to them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. He made no distinction between us and them cleansing their hearts by faith. Now then, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' neck that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, the same way they are. The whole assembly became silent and listened to Barnabas, and Paul described all the signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So there's this debate. It's a live debate. They're considering all the angles. And Peter, right, the apostle commended for his faith by Jesus, he stands up and he makes an argument that seems to bring clarity to, to, to the debate. And he says this. He basically, uh, he, he's, he's bringing clarity to this question of do the Gentiles need to be circumcised and obey the law of Moses in order to follow Jesus? And, and Peter was able to uh, authoritatively contribute to this discussion because like, as we remember, like back in Acts 10, he is like the first apostle who goes out and is, is, is preaching the gospel among Gentiles. We read about that in Acts 10. He goes to Cornelius' household. 
because the Lord showed him in a dream that he was supposed to. And he preaches the gospel and the, and the Holy Spirit falls on these people. That was a shocking thing. It was a shocking thing that the Holy Spirit that came on the apostles, these Jewish believers, these obeyers of, of the law, these people who had followed after Jesus, came on the, come then in Acts 2, right? Where this, this like astonishing thing that kicks off the, 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 the New Testament and, and, and the, the chronicle of what happens in the book of Acts, right? The same thing that happened to them is happening to these Gentile believers. And he's basically presenting that case. And the conclusion that Peter drew is that God who actually knows the heart, who doesn't just look at the outward stuff, but knows what's going on inside a person, is bearing witness to them, giving them the Holy Spirit in the same way he did with us. And he makes this point, and he underlines, he says, he made no distinction between them and us. He's cleansing their hearts by faith. See, Peter feels very strongly, and he makes a very compelling case, but he wants to make sure they, they get it circumcised, not circumcised, law of Moses, not following the law of Moses. What he's saying is God is making no distinction between these categories. We kind of think these are the really important things, but God who sees the heart is able to to move and not work according to these distinctions that we are constantly making. And he's just basically, basically presenting the idea that really what matters is the heart and we can't see the heart, but God can see the heart. And God is the one who is making the distinction. He's, he is the one who's setting people apart. He's sending his spirit upon people whom he's called and, and, and washed clean and saved. Uh, A.W. Tozer says that the, uh, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That's his case. What he's saying, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. It's funny, though, actually, when A.W. Tozer said this, I guess he, like, printed a newspaper, and C.S. Lewis read it, and then he responded in his book, Mere Christianity, to Tozer's proposition. C.S. Lewis actually disagreed. He said, actually, how God thinks of us is not only more important, but infinitely more important. I think that's uh, pretty cool. I think what Peter is arguing, he's, he's arguing kind of Lewis's perspective, or or Lewis is arguing Peter's perspective, probably more chronologically accurate. God has made it clear what he thinks of these Gentiles. He has come to them, put his Holy Spirit in them, put himself in them. He's adopted them in. God has made his mind very clear in what he has done is the argument that Peter is making. And this argument really matters. I mean, this, this debate is very much matters because it's actually about the mind of God and how we can know it. It's about the question, which is a question for anyone who wants to worship God, what does God want from me? What does God want from us as people who follow, are following after Jesus? What is it that will please God? Because pleasing God ought to be our concern. If we want to be in a relationship with him, just like I want to be in a relationship with my wife, so I have an interest in pleasing her so that we can continue to be in a relationship and she'll put up with me. Thanks. And the answer that Peter is driving at are that his thoughts, God's thoughts are, are this, that the world needs to be saved, needs to be cleansed, and it needs to be made new by faith in Jesus Christ, that the heart is cleansed, the heart is dealt with, the spirit is dealt with by faith in Jesus Christ. That alone is what people need. 
not just the Jews, but also the Gentiles. He says, he says we've been saved. Like, like, like we kind of came into this whole faith thing, believing that we were going to be saved because we were obeying the law really well. A lot of us thought that, that just made sense because that seemed to be what God was about. But what we have found is actually that's not why we were saved. God is cleansing our hearts by faith. That's what happened to, he says, that's what happened to us Jews is the argument he's making. Like we, 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 we sort of misunderstood it and thought that we were doing this by performance, but actually what's happening is that we're just receiving from God what he has. We're, we're accepting and, and by faith, uh, just believing, trusting that what he says about us, that his mind, which he's making clear to us in Jesus Christ, forgiving, pouring out grace, giving gifts undeserved. He says, we're just doing that and we're believing that's true. And that's what changes everything about us. Like, because, because God is making his mind clear, and actually, that's going to change the way we think about God. Like Tozer said, right? He said, uh, the most important thing about a person is what they think of when they think of God. Well, sort, certainly, it's going to matter, because if I think of God as someone who I please by just doing certain laws and, and, and following after um, a certain way of, of acting, and I think of God instead of as a giver of gifts, as someone who has uh, made it very clear to me that he loves me, cares for me, has adopted me, and not on the basis of the things that I've done, but on the basis of what Jesus has done, well, then that's going to change how I think about who he is. See, if I don't understand that I've been saved, washed clean, brought into the family of God only because of what Jesus has done, then I'm going to be super worried about making God mad because I stopped doing these things which I thought is what mattered, which is that I was a good little boy. And so if I'm not a good little boy, then I'm going to think, God must be disappointed. God must be mad. God must be like done with me, sick of me, not interested in me anymore, right? But, but, but a heart of faith, right? And faith is not like this huge work. It's just recognizing what God has made clear through his actions, through his word, and just saying, well, it must be true. <laughs> right? I mean, it seems that God is making himself very clear. And so I know his mind and his mind is that he is forgiving sins by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And I have that, 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 uh, that forgiveness applied to me simply by an act of faith, by believing. See, this debate is an essential gospel question. It's uh, talking about the line of demarcation, of what it looks like to be in, because ultimately that was the question that the Pharisees were worried about. Are they really in because they're not doing these laws of Moses thing? And what, what, what Peter is going back and saying, he says, no, like they're in simply by faith. And by the way, so are you. That's only only the reason that we're in the kingdom, a part of God's kingdom, a part of God's plan, adopted into his family is simply by faith. Do you believe that Jesus has forgiven you, put his spirit in you, made a covenant promise to you to the point where you can just trust him fully? You can continue to walk by faith because now you have this new way of going through life. It's Jesus who forgives. He is the gift that makes a way for a life with God. It is not our works, it's not all these things that we can do that really make God pleased with us. In fact, God is just pleased with Jesus, and Jesus is pleased to adopt us in. Our life is hidden with Christ in God, or in God with Christ. Yeah, that makes more theological sense. It is a matter of this question. 
It is a matter of how do we get right with God. And what, what Peter is saying is we get right with God. We are cleansed by faith. The heart is cleansed by faith. We are right with God. We are back in a, right, a rightly ordered type of relationship with God when we have faith in him. When we understand that he is the one who has done the work and we can trust him and we just continue on in that grace, in that gift. Peter makes this point and he takes it very seriously. And the others are responding. The other apostles respond. Let's keep reading. He says, after they stopped speaking, after Peter stopped speaking, James responded, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon, which is the Aramaic version of Peter, uh, has reported how God first intervened to take from the Gentiles a people for his name. And the words of the prophets agree with him, as it is written, After these things I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. I will rebuild its ruins and set it up again, so that the rest of humanity may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, declares the Lord, who uh, makes these things known from long ago. Therefore, in my judgment, we should not cause difficulty for those among the Gentiles who turn to God, but instead we should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from eating anything that has been strangled, and from blood. For since ancient times, Moses has, been, uh, has, been, has had those who proclaim him in every city, and every Sabbath day he is read aloud in the synagogues. So everyone's listening. Peter gives his sermon, and he's very convincing, um, especially to James. James, who was Jesus' brother, um, not really. They weren't really close while Jesus was alive. He came into faith kind of kind of later, um, but he's like well regarded. James is well regarded among the apostles. He's very convinced, and he and he begins to say, "You know what, guys? I think if we read the scriptures, we could see that what." Peter is describing is, is, is not only is it true, because we, we see evidence of it, we see evidence of the Holy Spirit moving among these Gentiles, but it's, it's true and it is in accords with Scripture. So he, he quotes Amos uh, chapter 9, verses 11 and 12, but it's so funny, like a lot of times in, in the New Testament when the, the apostles like quote Scripture, they're quoting like three Scriptures at once, right? So it's, it's mostly Amos 9, chapter 11 through 12, but it's some other things shoved in there as well. Um, because they, they actually understood, and this is really interesting, what they understood is that the prophets were speaking with one voice, the voice of God. And so they could take all these themes, they could say, okay, Isaiah and Ezekiel and Amos are all actually saying things that are really similar, and so we can sort of take their ideas and, and shove them together into one kind of mushed up quotation, which to us feels kind of wrong, right? Kind of sloppy, but to them made perfect sense. Right, because they're saying, not only is Amos saying this, but this is happening, all these other things. And so they have this kind of, has this mashup quotation, mostly from Amos. Um, and he's recognizing God is speaking in the events unfolding around us by the power of his Holy Spirit. But he's also recognizing, no, this is totally in accordance with what God has said all along in the Old Testament, according to the prophets. And then James offers a solution. So he says, look it, seems legit. I think it's very clear that the Lord is moving. And I think we can say, sorry, Pharisees, that the, that the plan of God for the Gentiles has been from the very beginning. So he, he goes on, he says, let's, 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 let's have a solution. He says, let's write to the Gentiles. Let's give them some instructions about some important things. And he says, basically, just, just like, just keep away from idols. Obey like sexual purity laws, and then he has a little bit about food, 
No, don't strangle your animals. I guess that was a thing that was done. I don't know. Um, and avoid blood. And let's leave it at that, basically. Let's leave it at that. If we do those things, in other words, what, what James is, is, is proposing is that they go with plan C. Plan C being compromise. <laughs> yeah, you took, it's, it's, it's bad. It wasn't a good joke. I, uh, I saw P- little Peter Andonian this morning, and uh, we had just seen him last night. I, I, I have to share this story. I'm sorry. I love it. Um, and <laughs> I said, long time no see, and he laughed. Because <laughs> he's a child. He hasn't heard that joke that every one of us has heard a billion times. He thought that was funny, and he thinks I'm really clever and funny now. Ha! Little does he know. It's just the most hack joke in the world. Anyways... I thought that was fun. Let's talk. Let's get back on here again. Um, It goes with plan C. Plan C is compromise. Um, And that is what this is, guys. Let's just be honest. Um, It is not what either party was looking for. This is is not what, what, what Peter, Paul, and Barnabas wanted, nor is it what the party of the Pharisees were after. The Pharisees are disappointed because their main issue, like the thing that they're actually telegraphing all over the world through their party, right, through their, through their networks, is these Gentiles have to get circumcised. James basically says, nope, that is not going to happen. We are not going to lay down these hard and difficult rules that will, that will really bring the, 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 the church, these Gentile Christians, into a conflict that the Jews have with the rest of the Roman world. We're not going to co-opt them into our cultural battles and into our things just because we think we, we should want to. He says, that's not what's going to happen. He, he, he puts that out. But at the same time, he doesn't just say, ah, no big deal. Forget about the law of Moses. Like, that's done. Let's just forget about it. Let's, let's not worry about it. He doesn't give them carte blanche. James is proposing some of the ideas that Moses was on about, some of his instructions about the law, um, if, if not entirely necessary, they were really not such bad ideas, and they weren't going to be so difficult. They weren't going to be really such an imposition on the Gentiles. In fact, he justifies his thinking. He says, for since ancient times, Moses has had those who proclaim him in every city, and every Sabbath day he's read aloud in the synagogue. So basically he's saying like, look, at, yeah, these Gentiles, they're not in Jerusalem, they're not Jewish, um, but the truth is that if we ask them to do these things, no one's going to be that surprised because the Jews have been talking about this stuff for centuries. We've been all over the Roman world talking about how we don't do blood and we're sexually pure and we do all these things, and so we're not really asking them to do something that's so strange to the culture around them. It's a compromise. It's simply a compromise. So what's up with that? I mean, why impose anything at all on the Gentiles? I mean, some of this stuff we could see just like ethics, like sexual, sexual ethics, but blood? I mean, you know, some of this stuff is like, seems very Jewish. So why compromise? And then another question. I mean, isn't the C word a dirty word for religious people? Anybody feel that way? I bet like half of you guys hate the word compromise. You like, you like think it's like really negative. Uh, I like what N.T. Wright says about this. He says this, what impresses me and what I long to see uh, in the church of today and tomorrow is the realism with which this question is addressed rather than the brittle absolutism that so many might prefer. And if anyone thinks that this is some kind of a compromise, it is not only a compromise which stands here in scripture itself, 
but one, one which James himself argued on the basis of Scripture. See, we, I think, think of compromise, and we think compromise is compromise, Ooh, right? We think compromise is a dirty word. Because if we're like worshiping God and God is perfect, how could we accept anything else but perfection? Like a perfect deployment of, of, of our ideas about who he is in the world. But what he's saying is that, look, he's quoting this Amos verse and he's saying, we're rebuilding the tent of David. So it's like there's some of this Jewishness, some of this promises to, to Israel are preserved, but it's also a tent that's going to be encompassing for all people. All the Gentiles are going to come into it. And so he's trying to understand that there's something that we're doing here, and it needs to involve a kind of openness to two possible things, and we need to preserve as much as we can these two views and freedom for these two people to come together and live together. And let me, let me just be clear. I'm not talking about compromise on what the gospel is. In fact, that is like just like right off the table. Like, like Peter has made it fully clear what the gospel is and where the gospel, what the promise is. Our salvation comes from Jesus and Jesus alone. And we have a relationship and we owe oblig- our, 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 our worship and our praise and our, our relationship is to God himself. Nothing else, like not to men. But he says on, on matters of kind of open questions, different interpretations and different cultures in the church, what he's saying is that there, there, there can be, I mean, what we see in action is that there can be compromise that allows for room for different people within the one unified body of Christ to hold different views. And that is very, for our culture today, I think quite difficult, right? Like, so it was funny. We have this like very diversity-oriented culture, and it's diverse unless you disagree at all <laughs> with anything, right? Then, there, then there's no diversity allowed, right? We do not have a, a, a culture that is very open to the ideas uh, that there can be uh, diversity even uh, among groups of people who are of the same group. It's like, it's like, well, if we disagree with people, then we cut those people off. We unfriend them on Facebook. We don't go to Christmas parties with them. You know, we do all the things we, to separate ourselves. But here, what, what James and, and Peter and Paul and Barnabas come to accept um, is that there is this idea that we can live together in unity with differing ideas on what they would argue. I... I, I, I clearly acknowledge as, as less than essential things. And there is not an effort made in this compromise to say, hey, Pharisees, you have to start agreeing with us here. They're saying, no, we're going to let you guys continue to be the party of the Pharisees among us. And actually, to be frank, that causes a lot of problems later. In Acts 21, there continue to be conflicts about this exact same issue. Wouldn't it be nice if things could just be resolved and everybody could get on board the same way? James actually seems to think that this is okay. This kind of interim period is okay. And then the, so like, okay. And then there's this other thing, right? This next, can we put up the next set of verses? I'm actually not going to read them because all it basically says is James suggested to write a letter and then they wrote a letter and here's the letter, right? So I'm not going to read you the letter because it just says the same things that James only said, except I do want to uh, note this one thing, uh, these, these verses towards the end here. It says, for it was the Holy Spirit's decision and ours not to place further burdens on you beyond these requirements. 
See, this compromise is not compromise like men failing to be obedient, men and women failing to like live up to what God calls them to. They pray, they discuss, there's fellowship, they're seeking the Lord, and they come collectively to some kind of an agreement, some kind of a sense of what's true, and that's their decision. But he says, like, this isn't just our decision, this is the Holy Spirit's decision. See, the Holy Spirit doesn't mind using the C word. The Holy Spirit doesn't mind word like like compromise. He, He uses it without blushing even. The Holy Spirit can use this word, and this is a compromise, one that actually doesn't resolve everything, right? It doesn't actually take care of all the problems. It doesn't fix all the things immediately. But it seems that that is okay. See, see, we have this, this wrong idea. We have this wrong idea. I really think it's true that if we listen to the Holy Spirit, every issue is going to be resolved and everything will be right. And then we, we start to think we, difficulties come in life and there's conflict and hardships and we start to think, I must not have listened to God or God must have abandoned me or, or, or you know, this, the, the Holy Spirit must have left this church. Ichabod, <laughs> you know, uh, there must have been like some, some sort of huge problem. And you know what, like it's not that things that, that can't happen, those things can happen, but a lot of life in terms of how we're concerned is just us listening the best that we can and the Holy Spirit is okay with us not knowing how everything ends and not seeing everything tied up immediately. The Holy Spirit leads churches and leads groups of people to preserve unity, to preserve the bonds of love and community, even while there are open issues of disagreement. He says, this was not our decision. This was the Holy Spirit's decision. I, I just like, I think this really challenges what we think it is to follow Jesus, right? Because following Jesus, like, which is just like listening to the Spirit, listening to the Lord, like putting him first. It's, 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 it's not this process of, of like knowing exactly the way things should be all the time. It's, it's, it's actually like very much a, an immediate moment sort of thing. Like, like if we're to be really open to the Lord, we just need to be curious enough, a better C word, curious enough to just ask this question, God, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? Like, show me the best way that I can get in line with the thing you're doing right now. I, I might not understand the end goal or absolutely how it's going to work out, but what are you doing right now? Where are you moving? And what do I need to do? How do I need to position myself with my limited knowledge, my limited understanding? How do I humble myself to your will to the point where, I can say, I, I feel like I'm, I'm very clear on this issue, but there's disagreement. How do I listen to you and be humble enough to sense where you're leading, even if like, it doesn't seem like this is going to solve this open issue that I have and I desperately want it solved? I think it's really important that it be solved right now. Following, following the Lord is being curious and letting the Lord lead and having confidence that he's going to actually resolve these things eventually. See, James knew this, and though this compromise did not solve the issues, and it made no one happy, no one was happy, 
He thinks it was a part of God's plan to allow the work of the church to move forward and to allow the church to uh, develop into what it was becoming. But there was a process that needed to be go through. And, and, and James and the apostles trusted the Lord enough that they could just kind of give the Lord space, enough space to just work out what he was going to work out. And then the, the, the chapter kind of resolved, well, mostly, uh, it gets to verse 35. He says, so they were sent off. Paul and Barnabas sent back. They went down to Antioch and gathering in the assembly, they delivered the letter, the letter that James wrote. And when they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Both Judas and Silas, who were also prophets themselves, encouraged the brothers and sisters and strengthened them with a long message. A long message? Oh, was it 40 minutes, which is about where I'm at? I got to land this plane? Probably it was way longer than that. <laughs> um, a long message. And after spending some time there, um, they were sent back in peace by the brothers and sisters to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas, along with many others, remained in Antioch, teaching and proclaiming the word of the Lord. Wasn't resolved. The issue wasn't settled in a satisfactory way, but it was satisfying because these people start to understand, okay, like, like we, can, we can accept this. Like, we don't know exactly the right way. We might not, we not, might not totally get it. And frankly, like, this is still a bit of a live issue. Like, what are the Old Testament things that we're supposed to be doing? And, and some people have different views on this. Um, what are they going to be doing? Well, what they're going to be doing is they're going to be uh, listening and obeying and humbling themselves and being present to the Spirit to let the Spirit resolve these things in the long run. They're going to, they're going to learn. They're going to grow. And this, is com this compromise is allowing for that to happen. What is the church? Right? What, what are we doing here even? What is its purpose? Uh, what is a person who is concerned with the mission of God, concerned with obeying him, concerned with taking his word seriously, concerned with seeing him move in the world? What are they to do? What are they to be interested in? Like these apostles were totally interested, and yet they thought, well, we just need to just sort of give the, the Lord room to work and to allow him to do his thing. I like what uh, Leslie Newbigin, he, he's one of my favorite writers about missiology, about, the, about church and mission. He says this, the church is a congregation, the worship team can come up while I read this, the church is a congregation set to draw all men of whatever kind into one family. But it's also a mission sent to the nations. That is to say, sent to men not as isolated individuals, but to men in the full reality of their cultural, social, economic life as men. For the, in, for the fulfillment of that mission, is, it is not enough to say, come, all are welcome. It is also necessary to go, to leave the establishment behind, to make daring experiments in seeking to learn what it means to live the life of Christ in every one of the idioms and patterns of the myriad of human communities. It is necessary that the kernel of wheat fall into the ground in order that a particular fruit of that ground might be brought to the perfection for Christ. And yet again, all the fruit is to be brought into one store. The variety is for the sake of the unity of the body of Christ, that each may serve not itself but the whole. This going and coming, this scattering of the seed and gathering of the fruit is the very life of the church when it is in its true and its proper nature. Compromise being the kind of gathering where many types of people can come in and be welcomed into the family 
still bonded together by faith and love, and yet with different views, different cultural backgrounds, different, different experiences of life, being the sort of place where that can happen is part of the essential life of the church. I, re- I really think this is right. A lot of my life is just, I mean, like Jesus talks about this, it's just dying to myself, which is just me, metaphorically, spiritually, getting over myself, getting over my very, my preferences, the way I'd like things to be, my desire to know the end of all things. A lot of growing with Jesus and a lot of what our church needs to do in order to, to, to be mature is to, is to just seek the Lord for today. Okay, Lord, what do we need to do today? Because you're going to do the work of perfecting us in the long term. That's what we're holding out for, by the way. Compromise that just stays at this place of, ah, never, never moving past it. That's not good. But it opens up space for people to, to grow. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13 says this, God gave himself apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son. Growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Wouldn't it be nice if we were full grown right now? My kids would love to be adults, except for the jobs. You know, we want responsibility. We want we want to to see things completed. Everybody has a desire uh, to be fully mature. But what we find is that churches are growing, maturing groups of people. They're people in process. We're just people here in process. We're all figuring each other out, figuring out how to love each other, how to preserve the bond of unity while we seek the Lord. And he does the work. That's the ultimate hope. You know, James, James and Peter and Paul, they can all just like settle with this and sit with this compromise because they're confident that God is actually going to move them past it, going to mature them past it eventually and in, in his time, in his way. Uh, but that is an exciting thing. Because it invites us not to be super controlling, dominating, uh, you know, like harsh sorts of people, but people who can just say, you know what, Lord, I think you know where this all ends. I think you know the direction that we need to be going in. And so we can just like ask your spirit to make clear what is the direction right now. And it might not make everybody happy. We might not get there as quickly as we all want, but, but you're doing something, Lord. That's a great thing. It's a great thing that we can partake in. And I think it's like, I honestly, I think it's something the world is hungry for because the options of how to go through life right now are just so harsh and they're so cruel and they cut so many people off for making the tiniest of errors. And the church is just like this welcome family. In a family, there's all sorts of people. Some are more difficult than others, <laughs> right? I'm not talking about my family, no. Um, but we have this bond, right? We have the same father. We have the same place that we're living in and we're just, we're just growing together. And that is, that is part of our calling as a church. And so I think that's exciting. Like we, sometimes we think that's boring. Like we want to be up at the top of the mountain all the time. We want to have already arrived. But I think part of the, the, the fun and excitement of, of being a church, especially in kind of the place we live and this moment in time is just letting the Lord mature us and grow us together. So I just wanted to encourage you guys in that. And uh, hey, let's just pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we just want to be open to you. Lord, whatever you want, whatever you have for us, Lord, would you mature us, God? 
Like, don't, we don't want to be the same. We don't want to resist you. We don't want to resist your spirit. But what you're doing, Lord, we want to be agreeing with, understanding that you know our hearts. God, and you know how to uh, build us up in our hearts and, and to bring us along and change our minds about things that we, uh, that we were so sure of, Lord. And to keep us sure of the things that we ought to be sure of, Lord. Lord there's so much in human relationships and in the life of a, of a church that we do not understand. So, Lord, we just submit ourselves to you. God, I, I do not, even as pastor, this is your church. I do not bear the weight of it on my shoulders, Lord. You carry our burdens for us, Lord. Lord, each person here um, is loved by you, watched over by you, Lord. Lord, I'm praying, Lord, that your spirit would fill us greatly, God. Holy Spirit, would you build up this church, Lord? Would you make us hungry for holiness, Lord? Would you make us hungry for your word? Would you make us hungry for your spirit, Lord? Not not lazy, uh, not... uh, not self-serving, but would you teach us to serve you and bring us to maturity, I pray, Jesus. Lord, build us up. Amen.